This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. It is 4.35 p.m., and that means it's time for our Smart Speakers segment, one of the my favorite parts of the program. Joining us uh, today, we have Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and now a principal at Morrison uh, Communications. Sunil Johal is a professor in public policy and society at the University of Toronto. And uh, newbie guest Ovi Onababoma is the founder and executive director of the Canadian Black Nurses Alliance. Uh, good to speak with all of you. Happy New Year all around. Ovi, let's start with uh, uh, with you on a uh, hospital-related one. 41% of Ontario's hospital workers dread going into work, says a new poll conducted by Nanos uh, Research on behalf of CUPE's uh, Ontario Council of Hospital Un- Unions. Uh, not that surprising. Other information there, 6 out of 10 uh, workers reporting exhaustion, stress, not enough staff. Uh, Nano says, uh, Noah, can we play uh, the clip? Uh, which one is it? I think it's uh, for the last uh, Nick Nanos clip about pay not being the answer. Pay and salary is not necessarily the solution right now. I think the immediate solution is how do, how do we make sure that we have enough healthcare workers in the hospitals and how do we create an environment where our hospitals can deliver the quality care that those frontline healthcare workers want to deliver. Ovi Anabeboma, you've worked in our hospitals. Uh, members of the Canadian Black Nurses Alliance uh, are in there every day. How, how do we fix this? How do we create that right environment? I think the focus needs to be on retention. Um, as you know, the government's been focusing heavily on recruitment and using what our members see as a band-aid solutions with uh, internationally educated nurses. What nurses need right now is to be seen as respected. They need safe staffing ratios. That means something that's mandated as a minimum standard so they can provide the care to our patients that we, we know is needed to provide safe care. I think when we're looking at this issue, um, if we don't look at the retention, the wellness, and providing a safe place environment, that 43% is going to increase. Sunil Johal, uh, you're a professor in public policy. Uh, part of what uh, Nick Nano said uh, today was that the uh, financial accountability officer points to thousands of uh, staff that uh, need to be hired in order to get back to staffing levels that we had in the Ontario healthcare system before COVID. But it was broken then. That can't be the whole answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, staffing is is a a big piece of the puzzle, but we also need to take a step back and think about the fact that hospitals really have become a catch-all in our healthcare system for everything that people are dealing with, when in many cases, hospitals probably aren't the best place for somebody to go if they maybe could uh, be dealt with in an alternate site, whether that's a family doctor or some kind of preventative care model or uh, an aging in place or aging at home model for seniors. Uh, and, And that's really the issue. For decades now, we've kind of put so much focus on primary care in the hospital system as the, the be-all and end-all of health care. But in reality, there's a whole spectrum of care that we need to look at more closely and resource more effectively. Because if we uh, put resources into that kind of preventative care model, a lot fewer people are going to end up in our hospitals and put less strain on the workers uh, in, in those hospitals. Aaron Morrison, who can I look at as a citizen, a resident of Ontario? I hear uh, doctors tell me that doctors need more money. That's the solution. I hear hospital administrators say we need uh, 
more money, I hear. Uh, nurses uh, union saying we need more nurses. Uh, everybody uh, is an expert in their own thing, but they also have a vested interest. Is there anybody that speaks an unvarnished truth here? Because the government who should be doing this also have, uh, you know, their side of the bread to butter. Oh, good question. I think we have to look to the frontline professionals, the ones who are there every day who are feeling the feelings, right? Folks like Ovi who know what it's like to be inside the ER when the wait times are eight hours long. Um, I think we need to listen to them and take them seriously. And I think it's so interesting that this Nanos poll is, is telling us workers are literally saying it's not about the raise, it's not about the money, just like the clip you just played. They're saying increased staffing levels. So um, I think we can take them at their word that they're not being selfish here. This is about recruitment, uh, retaining and respecting healthcare workers. Uh, Sunil, let me start with you on this one. Ottawa has said it's going to accept a thousand applications from relatives of Canadians who are stuck in Gaza to bring them here as refugees for up to three years. I have some real concerns, and I'm trying not to sound racist and maybe failing in that, but these are people who have grown up in an environment where they have always been fighting against people who also exist in Canada, and we already have Canadians on the streets protesting. I don't see how this is a good thing for Canada, albeit I'm sure it's a great thing for those who are able to come here. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a it's a tough spot for the people in 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 Gaza and in the Middle East who have been affected by the terrible fighting that's been going on there. And I mean, Canada historically has had a very strong record of uh, providing humanitarian assistance to uh, people in situations like this dating back 50, 60 years. So, I mean, I would hope that we would be able to do that uh, again here, but it also has to be balanced against financial considerations. I mean, I think this program would ask family members of the the folks affected here in Canada to put up financial security for, for these people uh, I mean, any security issues that, as you kind of alluded to, need to be checked over. But I mean, I think we'd rather have Canada be an open and uh, compassionate country rather than not when people need help and are, are in the middle of a war zone. Uh, so uh, that's probably the side that I would lead, lean on here. Uh, Ovi, are we being a little bit naive in our compassion? Uh, maybe I'm just uh, sort of single-minded in this, but these are people who are coming out of a place where they have all their life been taught to hate the people they're fighting. Those people, Jews, exist here too. We're already protesting on the streets. We tell them that they're refugees and they all want to go home, so they're not going to put down roots and run up Canadian flags. I'm concerned that we've gotten away from assimilating refugees and this is going to cause us trouble. Well, I think when you look at this application, it's specifically talking about Canadian families that are already here um, and supporting families that they want to bring to Canada. So I think when you're looking at that from that fair, the humanity piece is important. I think we have to trust that there are good people. Um, even in in experiences where they have a one-sided track, I think the bigger piece here is a progressive plan, right? The, it, we have to have checks and balances that if they're coming, families are able to support them because then it becomes something that becomes a system problem. Um, and we already know how tough it is right now in Canada, um, whether you're Canadian or an immigrant or refugee coming here. So we want to make sure that um, in our compassion that we actually have the right resources to support um, refugees coming in. Aaron Morrison, how do we protect 
Canada while allowing refugees in. We had the same question with the Syrians, but we were on the Syrian refugees' side. In this case, we're playing the neutral uh, partner in a conflict between sides that we have uh, friends and family on both sides. Uh, you know, what should our security services be doing when these refugees arrive? Our security services should be doing the same things that they have been doing with refugees for a long time coming from many different war-torn regions, right? There are security checks in place. They would stay in place in this case. And so I, let's be careful not to conflate Palestinians with Hamas, right? Palestinians are victims of the conflict. Israelis are victims of the vile attack by Hamas. Um, and it's the victims we're looking to help, not the perpetrators who are fighting. So I don't know, I mean, realistically here, um, this is not going to be a flood of people. It's it's incredibly difficult to get across that Rafa border. We're hearing that it is uh, almost impossible. Uh, and we know that in order to apply, you must be in Gaza the moment you apply. And so, so realistically, I don't think we're talking about a flood of people here. I think we're talking about very few who are able to escape into, into Egypt and make their way to Canada. Um, and as Sunil pointed out, they would be moving in with Canadians who are already here. And uh, that's probably the uh, the most salient point there that allays my concern is that given the competence of our government, the chance that any of these people arrive here before five years from now seems pretty remote. Uh, we'll come back with more smart speakers in just a moment. Ovi Anabeboma, Aaron Morrison, Sunil Johal, and uh, we will tackle the question of Toronto's signs, a sign of apocalypse impending in our civilization, or just much ado about nothing. Hey, welcome back. Mark Tui in for Rush Binera. Our smart speakers uh, panel continues. Ovi and Ona Beboma is founder and executive director of the Canadian Black Nurses Alliance. Aaron Morrison is a longtime political strategist and principal at Morrison Communications. Sunil Johal is professor in public policy and society at the University of Toronto. Uh, Aaron Morrison, let's start with you from a political and communication perspective. Uh, the CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Perrin Beattie, who it may be relevant uh, to note was uh, Minister of Defense in the uh, Progressive Conservative government of Brian Mulroney uh, back in the day. He has sent uh, an open letter to the uh, Prime Minister saying Canada is increasingly being viewed by our partners in the Indo-Pacific region as a well-meaning but unserious player on the international stage. He points out that with the exception of the Indo-Pacific strategy, which he applauds, uh, Canadian foreign policy in recent years has frequently appeared to be reactive and unfocused. We've too often concentrated our efforts on policies designed to produce good feelings instead of on those that will produce good results. Fair criticism? Yeah, largely a fair criticism. Can Canada do more to show that we're a trusted global trading partner? Yes. Uh, in fact, I think Beattie might have missed a few of our recent embarrassing bloopers in this letter. I mean, how about the former Liberal Speaker of the House inviting an actual Nazi to be praised in the House of Commons or having the official opposition and Pierre Polyev vote to block aid to Ukraine or Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's handling of the accusations against an Indian government 
actor in the death of a Sikh activist in BC. Like, like we we do have issues uh, in terms of the international affairs file. Our reputation has been tarnished, um, and I think and I think it's a serious concern. I think the part of the letter that falls apart for me a little bit is where Beatty. Uh, you know, asks us to just take at face value that one of the concerns is our lack of military spending. I'm not sure that we will be taken more seriously by trade partners if we spend more on defense. Sunil Johal, uh, I think that uh, maybe not our trade partners, but certainly our NATO partners, our NORAD partners, our, uh, you know, our allies that are facing uh, military uh, threats would take us more seriously if we actually could put up, uh, you know, to at least match our rhetoric. But Canada's always in my lifetime, I think, thought that it had more influence on the international stage than it really ever had. Uh, is this just more of the same? Yeah, I mean, 2020, we really put a big push on to get a seat on the UN Security Council. And who did we lose out to? We lost out to Norway and Ireland. I mean, great countries, but not uh, kind of at the, the level of economic might uh, as a country like Canada. So this is nothing uh, new. And I mean, I kind of agree with Aaron. I mean, how much more do we want to put into to military spending is, is an open question. But at a certain point, I mean, when it comes to NATO, when it comes to our conversations with the U.S., I mean, we can't continually be a free rider uh, on the U.S.'s coattails here. And if, if, we, if we want to engage internationally outside of just pure trade relationships uh, on situations like Ukraine or or the, what's happening in the Middle East now. I mean, at a certain point, you need to have uh, more investment, more spending on military, on defense budgets. And it's just not something that's been a priority recently for Canada. And if, if we collectively think that's important, then we should then we should put some effort in that, in that area. Or at least do what we say we're going to do or stop saying we're going to do things that we know full well we're not going to do. Uh, Ovi, on a bit moment, does it matter to the average Canadian whether Canada is perceived to be a serious international player? Sorry, I think it does matter to the average Canadian how we are seen on a global uh, landscape. Um, we want to be competitive, right? Um, you know, being Canadian is something to be proud of. So I think it's important that when you're looking at how we're viewed on a national landscape from our defense policy and foreign policy, yeah, we, we, we it does matter. And we, we want to see Canada um, either, like you said, put your money where your mouth is or don't say anything at all. Yeah, I think uh, what bothers me most about Canada not spending 2% for its NATO commitment is not that we're not spending 2% for our NATO commitment. It's that we keep making the same damn commitment, knowing full well we're never going to spend uh, 2%. And so you lose all credibility, I think, in the minds of anybody on the other side of uh, a table. Uh, let's start with uh, Aaron Morrison on this one. A study uh, or an article out of the United States in uh, the Washington Post is talking about how America Americans use their vacation time and how uh, the smartest amongst us plan to uh, distribute our vacation days over the years so they they match up with uh, statutory holidays so you can turn two vacation days into nine days off uh, if you do it right uh, around uh, American holidays. I know people in Canada who do this, but I also know that most of the people that I know don't even take all of their vacation days. Uh, do you take all of your vacation days and do you love and admire or hate the people that manage to penny packet their vacations out so they can take five months off and it only costs them a week of vacation. 
<laughs> I, I don't even come close to taking all my vacation days. Uh, and I and I have to say, I, this is like a do as I say, not as I do, because I'm always encouraging people, use your vacation days, use your paid time off, it's yours. Um, realistically, uh, the popularity of this article, I think, just shows us the divide between the folks who uh, do whatever they can to take as much time off as they can, maximize their vacation days, and the folks who kind of get left behind doing perhaps more than their fair share of the work. OV, are you a vacation user upper or somebody who ends the year like uh, me with more vacation days in hand than I've taken? I think it depends on what's happening. I'm, I'm, um, I, I love work-life balance. That's defined by myself. I think this this shows the importance that if you don't take it, sometimes you lose it or you just become burnt out. So you might as well take it. Um, I think it's important to take your vacation time, whether it is traveling or just doing nothing. Um, you don't need to be working every single day when you have PTO. Sunil Johal, do you think that uh, people who manage to strategically allocate their vacation days throughout the year so they uh, join up with uh, stat holidays, are they the, the most admired vacation takers at work or are they people that everyone else just loves to hate because I have to work all those days now? Yeah, I think you could you could be in for some ire from your your workmates and your colleagues if you're the one always taking extending your, your long weekend into five or six days. I mean, the bigger issue here in Canada is most people only get about 10 days of paid vacation a year and compared to many countries in Europe and elsewhere who get 30, we're, we're really short. So, I mean, you can't really stretch your vacation days too much when you've only got 10 days off. So, I mean, I think a bigger question to think about here is how do we get more Canadians more paid vacation every year? We have more stat holidays on Wednesdays so that That's we can fit idea. in in between. Like the Americans, <laughs> the Americans with that uh, November Thanksgiving on a Thursday, they're brilliant, brilliant our American cousins are. Uh, Ovi Anabamoma, thank you. Founder and Executive Director of the Canadian Black Nurses Alliance, Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and principal at Morrison Communications. Sunil Johal is Professor in Public Policy and Society at the University of Toronto. Thank you all for your time today with our Smart Speakers uh, series. We're going to take a break at the top of the hour for the news. And when we come back, we'll recap some of the bigger stories of the day. Then we'll take your calls on, do you use all your vacation time? And are you that person who figures out how to take one day here and two days there and five days, uh, you know, somewhere else split up into three different groups and you end up with two months of holidays and everybody hates you. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.